Moya Talk. Good afternoon, everybody. Great to have another Moya Talks with everyone. Um, glad to welcome Ella Faulkner here. She's uh, the deputy director over at uh, the Department of Parks and Recreation for the district. Uh, she's been an active member of the planning design community for over 10 years. And her purview includes supporting uh, support and warehouse services, information technology, human resources, capital projects and design and procurement. During her tenure, she's managed nearly $1 billion in capital construction. Previously, Ms. Faulkner was the interim chief operations officer and deputy director positions under multiple administrations. Uh, Ella, so great to have you here. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the call. Uh, at, uh, Ella and I share a little bit of ancestry here or heritage, um, but she is a Trinidadian uh, and my dad is a Trinidadian as well. So it's great to have a fellow Trini. On <laughs> <this topic. laughs> uh, so I'll start with that. So Ella, you're originally from Trinidad and Tobago and Trinidadians are currently the second largest group of Eng English speaking West Indian communities in the United States. How has being in a Trini influenced who you are today? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, so I am definitely Trinidadian. I'm Trini to the bone, as we like to say it. It is the best island in the Caribbean, okay? <laughs> the best, and I'm hoping that some of you have been able to be in Trinidad or interacted with Trinidadians. We are about the fun and uh, we like to have a good time. So that's why I feel like is, is, is one of the reasons why I think I make a good uh, public servant for DPR because we are about the fun, right? So we like to have a good time. Um, and uh, definitely before I get started, I just want to say thanks to Paula and the entire team. You guys are amazing. I work with you guys at DPR and I've seen a lot of your work and uh, continue to be amazing. So thank you guys. Um, so I feel like definitely Trinidad, you know, growing up in Trinidad um, have really led to who I am as an architect and a planner and a geographer. Um, I, I grew up on the boundaries of the rainforest in Southern Trinidad. And I left when I was 19 years old. And so definitely uh, most of my childhood, of course, was in Trinidad. And um, I'm a, from a very multiracial family. Uh, my dad is from India. My mom is black and Spanish. And we also have Native Americans in our family as well. So definitely across the board, I've hit pretty much all of the different cultures and it has definitely led to me um, in what I do in terms of uh, diversity and how I've been able to uh, create a lot of plans and designs that are multi-generational and of course diverse. Um, and I feel also too is that um, in my career as a geographer, architect, you'll hear all about this, um, that I was able to really get that initial uh, set of um, sort of ideas of concepts and, and, and my different theories and principles based around Trinidad because we lacked so much infrastructure. It's a beautiful place, beautiful for, you know, for beaches and uh, for hanging out and having a good time, but the infrastructure, 
was basically not there. I didn't grow up with playgrounds and beautiful parks, like I should say, not like structured park spaces. You know, we had the beaches, right? Um, but there were so many things that we lacked. And so uh, having been able to come to America and being able to create these spaces that we have in DC is completely a dream come true to me. Definitely. And DPR has some, had some amazing parks and some amazing park transformation over the years I've seen. Like uh, I used to live in Tacoma and that park there, that chain was a huge transformation. And some of the work we're working on uh, Eastern Market Metro Parks and stuff, it's just, it's great to see. Uh, and imagining that your family get together, you must have some great food with all that family, all that different culture there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> all right. So you mentioned studying geography as a major and as a master, and then you decided to pursue architecture and urban planning. How did you choose that career path, that path mm. and shift? Yeah, yeah. Um, I zigzagged my way <laughs> to uh, architecture and planning. Um, as I said, I had moved to the U.S. in 1999, and um, I had actually enrolled in engineering school. I was an engineering student, believe it or not, for almost a year. Um, and to say I was bored, right? I was so bored. I was stuck in group meetings, figuring out load capacities and designing motherboards and all kind of crazy engineering things. And uh, so, so I spent the entire year regretting my decision to enter into engineering school. Um, and one semester I had an elective anthropology course. And that really kind of led me down a path to drop out of engineering school and really kind of focus my efforts on exploration. Um, and so I had this amazing woman professor. She was like a drill sergeant. She actually made me cry a few times um, by some of the things that she told me. Um, but um, the way that she taught and the way that she was, she was, you know, she was, a, a, as I said, like a real drill sergeant type of professor. And she had me question everything that I ever learned previous. And she'd really truly changed my perspective on how I lived my life. And so it led me on a path where um, there was this one summer uh, I, she actually recommended me to attend a, um, to basically do a work study abroad program in the Yucatan Peninsula. And I was surrounded by architects, archaeologists, and geographers. They had just discovered this new Mayan village called Kiwik. And I remember this one summer I was there in the rainforest blazing through and you know, digging and, you know, dusting off ceramic shards and you name it. And during the day, we'd be out in the rainforest and at night we'd be having these great discussions under these amazing palapas, of course, in the Yucatan. And that's when I discovered that, you know what? I need to be an explorer. I need to be like Indiana Jones. I needed to do something <laughs> exciting. I didn't want to just sit in a room and do engineering stuff. And so I really, when I, when I came back after that summer, um, I actually went to VCU, uh, Virginia Commonwealth University. And I told her, I was like, I think I'm gonna become a geographer. And she completely supported it. And I graduated with my geography uh, degree, kind of focusing on cultural geography in the Caribbean. And, um, and then after that, once I graduated, I actually worked at National Geographic for a year 
And then after I went on to graduate studies in geography at the University of Oklahoma. And then after I graduated with that, I decided to uh, go a bit further rather than doing PhD and becoming a professor. Um, I decided to get into architecture and planning with a focus on environmental planning as well as sustainability. I was studying brown fields and it was such exciting. And that's where it sort of led me back to DC and uh, being working at DPR. That's awesome. That's an amazing career path. Like you said, a little bit of a zigzag, but it's a, you arrived. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so as deputy director, we mentioned earlier, you have nearly a billion dollars in capital constructions that you've managed at DPR. Uh, what are the main projects in that portfolio and how do you articulate the district sustainability's mission with those projects? Yeah, great, great question. So um, at any given point in time, DPR may have 70 over 80 capital projects um, and they vary from different sizes. We have projects that are 250,000 all the way to $30 million projects and every single project um, is formulated based around a matrix. It's a matrix of different priorities, um, mayoral priorities, DPR priorities, and overall district priorities. And it's a set criteria and a set mission and vision that creates every single project. And so each project must meet certain elements of those priorities. And one of those, of course, is sustainable DC, the sustainability, I think 2.0 now, um, but every project have elements of sustainability. They must be uh, using renewable materials, you name it. And so every single project from our park projects all the way to our large rec projects all have to meet some level of criteria when it comes to sus sustainability. And so um, one of the projects in particular, and of course, as I said, all of them must meet that mission. I think over 25% of our playgrounds must meet some level of sustainability. Um, but one of the projects that we're currently working on that I think is super exciting and it's, it's beyond anything that we've ever envisioned for DPR is our new uh, therapeutic recreation center. Uh, that's gonna be our first biophilic therapeutic recreation center. And I'm sure that you guys are familiar with what biophilia is, uh, which is really just, just taking the, in, the outdoors and bringing it indoors and creating um, a space that is connected to the environment and uh, how it changes our emotion and our spirit around places and allow for healing. Um, and so that's one of the projects. And we, uh, and we actually have a number of our projects that we're looking at for, um, of course, most of our rec centers are LEED Silver, LEED Certified, LEED Gold. And then also we're looking at some of our projects to even being completely off the grid. We have one project that we're trying to get to that level, which is the Fort Greville Rec Center. Uh, but I think, you know, we're doing such an amazing job here in DC compared to the rest of the country when it comes to recreation, how much of our spaces actually meet that sustainability threshold and even exceed it. So very, very, very exciting things uh, coming up in the near future. Definitely, it's great to see how DPR is so committed to environmentalism and like the like keeping sure that, making sure that we pay it forward. Uh, how do you see DPR and the role of shaping the urban fabric of the district? Yeah, so, <clears throat> 
how it shapes it is, and I know this is very interesting because uh, a couple of years ago, Trust for Public Land uh, recognized that we were number one park system in the nation, right? We were number one. I think now we're number two, but you know, two years ago, we were number one. Um, and I, this, uh, this actually was one of my most proudest moments because when I started at DPR, I remembered looking at our park spaces and looking out at our rec centers and it was so inaccessible. It wasn't spaces that you wanted to stay in for a long time. It was just places to just move on and get to your destination. And so we started looking at creating a vision framework to really kind of create these spaces that are inclusive and accessible. And so all of our capital projects, all the, all the budget formulations that we're doing for the capital budget, we really honed in on that accessibility and really sort of building out park spaces to allow for that flexibility and better transition in between spaces. Um, and so we feel like the context of how we've been able to design these park systems uh, creates this seamless space in between home and work. We want for you that when you leave your house, you enter into a park, you stay, you enjoy it, you go on to work, after work or during work for your lunch break, you come out to a park, you enjoy that space, right? It isn't three separate places. It's all connected. It's all part of the, uh, you know, part of the life experience as district residents here, right? So that's how we've kind of created it. And then also too, is that over the past, I want to say five years, we kind of went beyond accessibility. Now we start looking at equity and sustainability and now resiliency. Um, so you'll start seeing a lot of our projects all dealing with those sort of three or four major contexts. And you'll see soon we have a master plan coming out where we are kind of focusing on those sort of three or four large elements of what that looks like. Thank you. Yeah, that's great hearing about how that thought process and all of uh, that goes in behind that. Uh, so talk, all this stuff in the past has been great. What do you see as the challenges ahead? How can the city further improve uh, when it comes to the sustainability? Oh my goodness, we have so many challenges. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the one that we hear, of course, time and time again is funding, right? We always have a funding challenge. Um, there's not enough funding for every single ward. Some wards get more than others. And that's simply because of the land that's in some of the wards, right? The, the uh, properties that we have. So that's always an issue. And now even more so with like the health emergency, uh, our funding is, uh, I mean, for Parks and Rec, it's pretty good. I mean, I think we have now, I think 300 million, $400 million for the next six years. So that's pretty significant for Parks and Rec. Um, but when it comes to really kind of pushing the envelope on some projects, we do have to push a little harder uh, with the administration to really get us to that level of where we want to go. Um, of course, with the health emergency, there are different prioritizations when it comes to projects. Um, but, but we know that, you know, having a healthy park system is one of the key pillars, of course, to better quality of life and, of course, better overall um, how you how you maintain your your lifestyle and, of course, with the expectancy rate that all increases with a better and healthier park system. And so that's one of the things that we've been really kind of pushing. 
Also, equity is a big issue for us. It's, 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 it's always been a challenge and it will continue to be a challenge uh, just because we're, we're unable to provide the same type of service, the same type of rec center or the size of rec center in certain wards, just simply because of the land available to us. Um, and then I think the biggest challenge now is the trend around this health emergency. We saw all last year um, that we can't be indoors. So now we needed to be more outdoors. And even though we are called parks and rec, we focus as an agency a lot on indoor recreation. And so we needed to kind of pull back, rethink, re-strategize what park spaces mean to us. And so now we're starting to build capacity in our outdoor spaces, looking at um, sort of outdoor wellness hubs and outdoor fitness, like true outdoor fitness, not just one or two pieces, but truly creating these spaces where people can actually congregate and still be socially distanced and still have a good time, but now kind of focusing more on those outdoor spaces. And then in our indoor spaces, a lot sort of designing and building spaces that are a bit more flexible. So rather than having stationary walls, we're looking at accordion walls, right? Things that can be easily rolled up, rolled down to allow for maximum air uh, flow and air quality, better air quality. That's some things that we now have to sort of look at in our master plan and designing it with DGS. How do we create those things? So those are kind of like, I think our big challenges that we're seeing. Um, of course there's more, but that's practically our most ones that we have. Thanks, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's interesting hearing us. A lot of interesting opportunities for growth there. So mm -hmm. uh, shifting gears a little bit. So you were recently selected as a US delegate to represent DC in North Africa and had the chance to work with the government of Morocco on infrastructure planning and development. How did this opportunity come to be? Yeah, a couple of years ago, um, I was actually approached by an individual working at Serve DC. And um, they were creating this brand new professional development uh, internship with um, individuals from Northern Africa. And these individuals are already established architects, um, government officials. They were basically us going, you know, in, in Africa. And so they had this uh, partnership with Legacy International as well as the State Department where DC agencies and DC businesses would host these professional interns. They would come for four, five, six weeks. They would stay with us. They would actually work on a project. Um, and I actually hosted um, a, a architect um, from Rabat City in Morocco. And she worked exclusively on developing a facilities uh, plan guideline, I should say, a, a, a facility guiding document for DPR uh, focused on infrastructure and she was amazing. And so after her, her uh, professional internship ended, uh, we were um, asked if we were going to be um, outbound delegates. And so I decided that yes, I would decide to go. And so I went and spent two or three weeks in Morocco and we went to many different cities all across Morocco and we met with government officials there and we spoke about different um, infrastructure projects in DC and how possibly it could be applicable to, you know, to Morocco. Uh, it's very challenging, of course, because what they value is not what we value. 
right? We value accessibility, a lot of accessibility. That's not what they care about. Um, public spaces, we love our public spaces. We love to have space. Um, they're not so much. They're, you know, it's very interesting. We know we have a lot of trees, they don't. Um, so it was a lot of um, kind of sharing how we were building our infrastructure and how it could be applicable to Morocco. A great, great experience. Definitely sounds very interesting. Um, so you recently also graduated from the National Forum for uh, Black Public Administrators. Uh, how important is the representation in government agencies, uh, especially when it comes to urban planning and designing for more inclusive communities? Yeah, you know, representation is extremely important, especially for young Black women. Uh, I, I have not, well, I haven't really met too many uh, Black female urban planners or architects or even geographers. Um, it's very, very challenging. And, and I know this firsthand because um, me being a supervisor and when I'm hiring, trying to hire architects and urban planners and landscape architects for DPR, um, I think I may have interviewed in my tenure, maybe two people. It is extremely difficult to get, uh, to actually see that there is representation in these particular fields. Um, I joined NFBPA because I really wanted to be around minorities that were sharing the same struggles and opportunities that I was as a public official. And NFBPA of course is a national organization um, of different public administrators um, who was focused on leadership as well as coaching opportunities. And that's something for me is very important that I had really strong, still have really strong mentors and coaches that from NFBP and outside of NFBPA that I felt that was uh, really integral and pertinent to my growth as a planner. And so I learned a lot. And actually, this was actually one of the first places at a conference where I presented the whole idea about biophilia for rec centers. And I got great feedback from, 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 you know, from those individuals. And it's definitely something, a, an, an organization that I feel is really important in DC. And we have some very prominent NFBPA members, we had Rashad Young, uh, who was actually on the national board. We have many directors um, of different agencies. And of course, a lot of business owners in DC that are members of NFBPA. And it's definitely a growth potential. And it's not only for blacks or, or minorities, you know, it's open to everyone who wants to be able to grow in that sort of public realm. Right, and uh, talking a little bit about the private realm, uh, you also own your own uh, Faulkner Redevelopment Planning LLC. You started that 12 years ago. Uh, what advice do you have for women of color who want to take on the reins of business? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I created that right after, I, I, I think I had just finished grad school and I created that um, in Oklahoma actually. And I had worked on this really cool Brownfields project. And uh, over the years, I've done some small things, but not like uh, so much in the sense where I'm like, now I need to leave DPR because now my business is booming, right? But soon, soon, soon it's gonna get there. Um, I would say, you know, owning a business is threefold. One of the things that I have always had to teach myself is don't to second guess myself, right? That's always one of my struggles is that I always second guess myself or I overthink and I just can't let self-doubt enter into anything that I'm doing. And so that's one I think is number one thing that I want to 
share with people who are looking to open their own business um, is don't second guess yourself. Uh, one of my favorite uh, quotes is by the CEO um, of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg. Well, this is one of my things that I, I swear I live by. And she said, if you're ever offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on, right? And as a woman who is starting a business or wants to get into a certain career path, don't ask, just get on, just, just make your own table, sit at, you know, sit at the table, get on, do as much as you can as possible and don't second guess yourself. And then also I would say um, the, the next thing is to create a team of mentors for your business, right? Just as how you would have mentors when you were going to college or you're trying to get a job, it's the same thing for your business. Create mentors for your business. People who are already in business, who have been successful, don't be afraid to ask for advice. And most of them are actually willing to actually give advice and, and share their experience with you. Um, and then I think the last advice is just to take it day by day. Um, you know, the whole thing about balance, balance doesn't exist, right? We can't, we, we just can't do it all. Um, and so we just have to take it moment by moment um, and genuinely, if you enjoy what you're doing, then it's not work, it's fun. So whatever your business is, just make sure that it's fun. Great. I think well, one last question, then I think we'll open the floor for any questions. Uh, what's on the horizon for Ella Faulkner in the next five years? Oh, um, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas. Some days I think I might just quit and just sit on the beach and drink Mai Tais, right? Most days after, after a community nice. meeting, I, I definitely feel that way. Um, but most days, most days, um, I, I wanna remain in the public realm. Um, you know, perhaps maybe a director one day of an agency, who knows, right? Maybe the DPR director. Um, uh, but I would definitely like to continue working on my consultant business. Um, and not necessarily here in the US. I'm, 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 I'm trying to go global. I'm trying to travel as much as possible, perhaps go back to Morocco. There's a lot of these government officials that I still keep in contact with and they always ask for advice on how to do certain things. Um, and so, you know, taking it international, I've been to Thailand and it's a beautiful city and the infrastructure there is so unique. Um, and of course, just, you know, just sort of taking it a little bit further. I said, I am an, an environmental planner, but sort of looking at, you know, taking it in, into more biophilic planning and design and really taking my consultant business to the next level, I think is definitely where I think the next five years is going to be for me. Great. Uh, we have a question from Paola. She says, of all the parks you've designed, which one was the most regarding? Ooh. Um, so it's actually a park and rec. So I don't know if you've visited Palisades Recreation Center. So there is a playground that I designed about six years ago. And we created the playground to, um, to celebrate the history of Palisades. So, you know, Palisades is, there's a lot of like Native American history. And so all of the playground pieces actually look like Native American huts and there's canoes and there's different elements. 
uh, there's, there is even the Potomac River that's embedded in the rubber surface of the playground. It's beautiful. And when you're there, you literally feel like you've been transported to a little tiny you know, Native American village from the past. So that one's really beautiful. Thank you. I have to check it out. I haven't been to the Palisades Playground. Me I've been to several, but that one, I'm, I definitely will take my kids there, check it out. Uh, let's see, I don't know if there's any more questions. I think uh, one thing I'm just wondering, like once we can get back to the parks, I think it's definitely one of the things that we're looking forward to and definitely like- The parks are open. The parks are open. All of our parks are open, all of our playgrounds are open. Uh, some select rec centers are yeah. open. But coming in the next month or two, practically everything will be open and accessible. Awesome. That is great to hear. I think it's great that everything's opening back up. I got my first shot, so I just got to get my uh, follow-up in a couple weeks. <laughs> great. Well, thank you, Ellen. I think it was great so much having you here. Uh, you've been very insightful and engaging, and I think everyone definitely uh, speak for everyone here. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. Thank and you. Hopefully you get to enjoy some of this beautiful weather and enjoy the weekend. Absolutely. Thank you again so much, everyone. Thank you, Paula. Thank, thank you. you so much. Bye, guys. All right. Thank you now. Take, Take care, care, everyone. Thank Have you. Thank you, Aura. Bye. Bye-bye. What the hell?